Welcome back to Functional Theology with Chad Ashby. I'm coming to you from Newberry, South Carolina. And this is season two. We've been talking about missionary heroes. Last time, I hope you enjoyed our discussion about George Leal, the first, um, the first American Baptist international missionary who also happened to be a freed slave. And uh, what an inspiring life teaching us about the importance of church planting and how although missionaries come and go, the church is forever. And we have to recognize that what we're doing here as church planters in America is the same basic task that missionaries ought to be doing overseas as planting churches, really sowing seeds of the gospel and seeing those flourish and grow into churches, if you want to be technical about it. But I'm glad you guys are here. We're going to be talking today about our second missionary in just a minute. I want to remind you that if you're enjoying these podcasts, please, the best thing you can do is just to share this content with your friends. Um, This can be a great resource if you've got a morning commute, uh, if you are, you know, you you exercise regularly, you can be learning about these lives, inspiring lives from church history. Uh, Could be a great use um, in a homeschool curriculum. So I would just encourage you to be creative, share the share the link to the podcast. You can also find me on Facebook, Chad C. Ashby, or on Twitter, at Chad underscore Ashby. And of course, all of this content, along with articles that I've written elsewhere, Gospel Coalition, Christianity Today, uh, Desiring God, Nine Marks, you can find all of that stuff cataloged together at chadashby.com. Let's dive in to this week's missionary, who encourages us to think about the missionary call. So I don't know whether you've ever thought about what it means to be called into the mission field, or maybe you've heard, uh, read a really inspiring missionary biography, and you thought, wow, am I supposed to do this? Maybe this is for me. Uh, Lottie Moon is going to be our lady of the hour, lady of the next 20 minutes, maybe. (laughs) And we're going to talk about her call into missions and think about how God might be calling us. A few quick facts about Lottie Moon. Her upbringing was the exact opposite, although she's from the same state as George Leal. She was on the other end of the spectrum. She grew up a a member of the white aristocracy in the South on a family estate called Viewmont in Albemarle County, Virginia. Just to give you a feeling of where she came from, her uncle, Dr. James Barkley, owned Monticello. You know, the, the house that uh, was formerly owned by Thomas Jefferson, the president. So um, that just gives you a feel for what kind of upbringing she had. In fact, her home was on a stretch in Virginia that of highway that connected the homes of James Monroe, James Madison, and Thomas Jefferson. So that little couple-mile stretch is where she grew up in Virginia. As a child, she was a devious skeptic actually, of her parents' religion. As a teenager, she told friends that her middle initial, D, which her full name is Charlotte Diggs Moon, she told her friends that the middle initial actually stood for devil. And it wasn't until college when she went to attend a student revival that the Lord did a work in her heart. I don't know if you know the story of George Mueller, how he Uh, decided to go to seminary because back then being a German um, minister was a lucrative career. It was a steady job. And so he just did it as an occupation 
not because he was even a believer. And uh, some friends of his invited him um, to a Bible study where they would gather around a fireplace. And it was against the law to preach without a license, but it was not against the law to read sermons aloud without a license. So that's what they did. And they invited him, and George Mueller went basically to scoff and to kind of be able to laugh afterwards about how foolish his friends were. Well, this is the exact same attitude that Lottie Moon went to this revival meeting at her college. She was going to scoff, to laugh at what was going on, how absurd that his her, the, her fellow students would be taken in by um, this revivalism, which was seen to be so um, below scholarship. And she ended up leaving convicted by a sermon preached by John A. Broadus, who would be a co-founder of Southern Seminary. And she spent the whole night in prayer. It was on December 21st of that year, 1858, that she was baptized at the age of 18. Before we continue, I, I want to give you a couple more just uh, quick facts about her. Lottie Moon, at her tallest, was four foot three inches. Four foot three inches tall. She lived from 1840 to 1912. She was a missionary to North China. So if you think about where the Korean Peninsula connects to uh, the mainland of China, that's the region up there in China that she was serving. And she was a second single woman, as an unmarried woman, commissioned by the Foreign Mission Board, which is now called the International Mission Board. So just a few facts about her. Well, what happened was a civil war left the Moon family destitute. They basically lost everything. And Lottie and her cousins, um, her female cousins, were forced to find work teaching in various schools. And during this time, Lottie's heart was already stirring. She had been saved and she had a, a heart for the lost. And she worked not only to provide for her own needs, but also so that she could contribute significant portions of her earnings as anonymous gifts to the then paltry uh, Southern Baptist Missions funds. They were, it was not well funded, and she was working hard, so she'd have a lot of money, uh, a large percentage of her finances to give to missions. But it was in April 1872 when her sister, her 11 years, her junior sister named Edmonia, was appointed the first single missionary the first single female missionary of the Foreign Mission Board. So that's why Lottie was the second one. Her sister actually was the first. And that's when Lottie's life and really the course of all Southern Baptist missions efforts changed forever. Edmonia insisted after her first year in North China, she insisted that her sister Lottie come and join her there. She wrote, I cannot convince myself that it is the will of heaven that you shall not come. And you know what? The next year, she did. Well, several uh, people at the Foreign Mission Board began to plead with Miss Moon to go to China, but it was under the preaching of her own pastor at Cartersville Baptist Church that she heeded the call. The sermon was drawn from John 4, 35. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift your eyes up and see that the fields are white for harvest. She was 32 when she heard those words. On the mission field, when she faced hardships, loneliness, sickness, and war, 
Miss Moon would point to this event as a, as a sustaining grace in her life. She said she had heard God's call to China as clear as a bell. I just want to pause for a moment and ask, have you ever heard the call of God? I mean, have you, have you ever been called by God? Maybe not to the mission field, but have you ever had a, such a strong sense that God was calling you to do something that it was, as she said, as clear as a bell? And to be honest with you, I'm a pastor, but I, this is not usually the way things, the way that God works in my life. Um, I wouldn't be one that would say, you know, typically, oh, God's calling me to do this or that. Usually, for me, it's a lot more subtle. But I can say, <coughs> um, I do remember one time when it was as clear as a bell. It was when God called me into the ministry, and I was at, it was after my sophomore year, in high school. We were at a summer camp. It was a terrible summer camp. I don't know, you've probably, you, those of you who are adults, you think back to the camps you went to as a youth, and some of those camps, man, just terrible. <laughs> um, but, and in fact, the camp was so bad, the teaching was so bad, the adult leaders from our church were telling us not to listen to the sermons being preached, uh, or the messages, they weren't really sermons. Anyways, but one good thing did come out of it, and it's that the Lord called me into ministry, and I was reading through Second Timothy that uh, week in my devotions, and I got to chapter 4 where Paul says, preach the word, be ready in season and out of, out of season, and I was like, yes, this is what I want to do. Uh, I never wanted to do anything before in my life, except for, you know, in like third grade, I wanted to be a professional clarinetist, which, is that even a thing? I don't know if that's a thing or not, but I never really had a serious uh, desire for any particular career or vocation, and then it was just clear, this is what the Lord called me to, and um, the rest of my church um, assessed that, and through seminary, and then coming here to College Street, there, obviously the Lord used others to confirm that call. Let me read to you from Acts chapter 16, because the call on Lottie's life is not dissimilar to what Paul experienced. It says, And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision immediately, we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Does God still call men and women to the mission field this way? Does he still call people to obedience in, with such a clear voice, clear as a bell? I think he does. And I want us to be thinking about as we continue to read about and learn about the life of Lottie Moon, what does it mean to listen and to have ears to hear when the Lord does call? Well, beginning in 1873, Southern Baptists in America began to hear a voice continually, repeatedly, fervently calling them to take serious God's call to the mission field, and it was Miss Lottie Moon. She bombard, bombarded the home front with letters, articles, and pleas for funding, for missionaries, for prayers, for anything. Let me read to you a couple of the excerpts from her letters. This is from November 1st, 1873. This is less than a year after she was on the field. What we need in China is more workers. The harvest is very great. The laborers, oh, so few. Why does the Southern Baptist Church lag behind in this great work? A young man should ask himself not if it is his duty to go to the heathen, but if he may dare stay at home 
The command is so plain. Go! Or two years later, in November, she would write, We implore you to send us help. Let not these heathens sink down into eternal death without one opportunity to hear that blessed gospel, which is to you the source of all joy and comfort. In 1878, she writes, Here is a province of 30 million souls, and Southern Baptists can only send one man and three women to tell them the story of redeeming love. Ugh, that my words could be as a trumpet call stirring the hearts of my brethren and sisters to pray, to labor, to give themselves to this people. Lottie Moon became the mouthpiece of the Lord, calling her brothers and sisters to the nations in the same way she herself had been called to the field by the urging of God through others. She understood that the call doesn't come in isolation. Just as the Apostle Paul was called by Jesus himself, but baptized and commissioned by Ananias in Acts 9, the Lord confirms his will for us through the urging prayer and exhortation of the church. But I wonder whether if the Lord came and called us to something like mission work or to the ministry or uh, to joining a church plant or to any other activity in his kingdom, whether we'd even be able to hear. Let me read to you from 1 Kings chapter 19. This is the familiar story where Elijah is off in the wilderness and he goes up on the mountain and he has an encounter with the Lord. And the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by Elijah, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? So often we think the call of God is going to come in some booming voice and some loud, crashing, climactic uh, occurrence on some mountaintop. But so often the Lord comes whispering. I wonder whether we are so distracted in our lives. We have so many tasks. We have so many notifications. We have so little time to be quiet, to sit with the Lord and his word and prayer, that if the Lord did come calling, that we'd be so distracted that we wouldn't even be able to hear him. I wonder what distractions you have in your life that may be keeping you from hearing the call. Let's switch gears for a few minutes and think about how Lottie Moon made the most of every opportunity, how she was a woman who lived a life worthy of the calling. I don't know whether you knew this, but Lottie Moon was actually an extremely highly educated young lady. She was one of the first women to earn a Master of Arts degree in the South. She was proficient in Greek, Hebrew, and Latin, and spoke fluently in Spanish and French. Moreover, she gained valuable experience managing schools in the United States before her call to the field. And none of these skills and talents were accidental. Lottie's honed talent for learning languages here in America prepared her for learning Chinese. In fact, she managed to master the language in just three years, which far outpaced her co-laborers in the field, uh, which did not stir up 
uh, stirred up no little amount of jealousy among the other missionaries that were there. Eventually, Miss Moon would move on uh, from the main mission in Tang Chao to the village of Ping Tu, which was 120 miles inland. She was the only Westerner there, and she thrived for long spans just completely immersed in Chinese culture. Miss Moon's teaching experience proved the open door to ministry in China. In several villages, she established schools for girls, and she used teaching as a way to make initial contact in new towns and villages. She would go house to house, teaching rudimentary reading lessons, Bible stories, and hymns. In 1911, the Chinese Revolution broke out and missionaries abandoned the Baptist hospital in Huangxian. Well, she used her managerial skills to manage the hospital while the staff was gone. And when they returned, they found it being managed quite handily by Lottie, who had refused to leave. I wonder whether you've noticed in your life ways that God uses your past experiences or certain personality traits or skills that you've gained to do ministry in surprising ways. I know that when I, I came to College Street, there were certain pieces of my past that have all sort of coalesced in this ministry here. Really silly stuff. Like, um, I, ever since seventh grade, I've been mowing lawns. I mowed uh, at a retirement center and golf course for two summers in college. And lo and behold, here I am. And, and every other week, I have to go out and mow the church property and uh, maintain the, the grounds here. So... Just little things like that, or I was a DJ in college, and the experience I had in crafting, uh, putting together songs and, and breaks and everything were skills that really came into play when it came to structuring our service here and putting music and scripture readings and prayers together into a coherent service. And uh, dozens of, of experiences in my life that it's just so funny how God uses those things uh, to do ministry later on. I want to read to you Paul's instruction and encouragement from Ephesians chapter 5. This is from verse 15. It says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time. And some, some translations say, Making the best of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So think about it. Maybe you're a student. Maybe you're just beginning your career. What does it mean for you to make the most of the opportunities that you have today, whether it's in being in high school, whether it's in being in college, whether it's at work, at home, your upbringing, your education, these things that maybe you take for granted, things like being able to learn a foreign language, things like... Uh, not have, being saddled with college debt because your parents were so kind as to pay for your education. Um, managerial skills that you get at work. You have to realize these are opportunities that you need to take a hold of and take, uh, take advantage of because you, may, you never know how the Lord may use them to do ministry, not only today, but in your future. And so uh, students, uh, something for instance, you know, you think, oh, what a waste, I'm having to learn Latin. It's not even a language people speak. But you know that if you work hard at learning Latin, it's going to be that much easier to learn something like Chinese or Spanish or uh, any, other, any other countless languages. You learn, get good at learning languages and the Lord can use that in your future. Well, Lottie Moon was someone who lived a life fitting, worthy of her calling. Her biographer, Catherine Allen, writes, of those Baptists who arrived in Shangtun, 
During her first 20 years of service, only Lottie remained unbroken in body and spirit, and that wasn't by accident. Lottie's call to missions reshaped her daily activities. This spiritual call in her life had very practical outworkings um, in her routines, her regiments, her weekly activities. Allen writes, she diligently exercised, sought a clean and balanced diet, and rested regularly. We read elsewhere that she maintained personal devotions daily in her Hebrew and Greek testaments. How many of us can tout that? When vaccines for smallpox and other deadly diseases became available, she quickly took advantage of them. These practices enabled Moon to survive evangelistic excursions to remote villages where she often camped in lean-tos along the path. Stop for a minute and think about what personal habits that you have today that might immediately disqualify you from overseas missions. They could be physical habits, spiritual habits, financial habits, or otherwise. I remember listening to a talk done by Thabiti Anyabwile at Cross Conference a couple years ago, and it was about how debt, personal debt, is one of the biggest stumbling blocks to young people getting onto the mission field. Do you realize that uh, if you're carrying tens of thousands of credit card debt, that there's no way, there's no way that you're going to be able to go overseas because missionaries don't make bank. I don't know whether that's a rude awakening for you. The pastors don't either. <laughs> uh, but if you're if you're thinking that you're going to spend, 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 and then when God calls you to the mission field, you're going to be able to go, that you're going to have a rude awakening. So how are you making financial habits that are freeing you from entanglements here that would free you when God calls you to just be able to drop your nets and go. Or spiritual habits. Are you in the practice of doing daily devotions? And that can look a lot of different ways, but are you in the regular habit of spending time with the Lord? If not, not only are you not going to hear his call to the mission field, but you're not going to be qualified. How are you going to share the good news about Jesus with people when you yourself don't even treasure that good news and spend time in his word. Or physical. Missionary life can be very grueling. So what ways are you preparing yourself uh, for the physical rigors of missionary life as far as your diet, your physical exercise, taking care of yourself? Is the call to missions worth the effort to change these practical habits in your life? Well, for Lottie, it, was, it, it wasn't like this was just a natural thing for her. She was raised in the genteel South, and rural life in North China was quite an adjustment. However, Lottie Moon was undeterred. She developed almost an obsession for honoring Chinese customs unless they were blatantly incompatible with Christianity. She adopted Chinese dress. I would guess something that she either heard about or saw uh, done by uh, Hudson Taylor's in, in China Inland Mission. Uh, Lottie gave herself fully to the Lord's call, which meant giving herself fully to the Chinese people. She writes very tongue-in-cheek uh, about her life in China and the rigors of missionary life in 1878. She says, To speak in the open air in a foreign tongue from six to eleven times a day is no trifle. The fatigue of travel is something. The inns are simply the acme of discomfort. If anyone fancies that sleeping on brick beds in rooms with dirt floor 
with walls blackened by the smoke of generations, the yard to wit to these quarters being also the stable yard, and the stable itself being in three feet of the door of your apartment. If anyone thinks all this agreeable, then I wish to declare most emphatically that as a matter of taste, I defer. <laughs> Miss Moon, however, was, was not possessive of her work or her ministry. As more missionaries entered the region, she trained them to replace her at Pingtu, a missionary outpost that she herself had forged on her own. She taught Li Xiaoting, uh, who would become the greatest native Chinese evangelist, baptizing more than 500 new believers each year. Lottie actually refused to preach or to baptize, and she would allow male missionaries to enter in and take credit for all of her missionary endeavors. She was known to teach children and women and only allow men to eavesdrop from the other room. When new uh, convert men, uh, when men would, would be converted to the faith, she would take these men aside and teach them how to lead the service, how to lead hymns, and how to uh, read the Bible aloud for others. It was a great blemish on those who called themselves quote, missionary Baptists in her mind, that there were so few men on the field. Oh, that we had active and zealous men who would go far and wide, scattering books and tracts and preaching the word to the vast multitudes of this land. While Lottie pressed deeper into the heart of China, her letters pressed deeper upon the hearts of Southern Baptists back home. The Foreign Missions Board was in, was in debt. The situation sickened her. It does seem strange that when men and women can be found willing to risk life, or at least health and strength, in order that these people may hear the gospel, that Christians withhold the means to send them. She struck a nerve with the Women's Missionary Union, who in 1888 began to take up a missions offering at, can you guess, Christmas. In 1918, this was after the death of Lottie Moon, Annie Armstrong so if you're a Southern Baptist, that also ought to be a familiar name. She would propose that this offering not only be taken up among women's missionary unions, but be taken up in all Southern Baptist churches, bearing the name of its progenitor who died on Christmas Eve, 1912, the Lottie Moon Christmas Offering. One hundred years later, Lottie Moon has become the spiritual mother's mother to thousands of who have been stirred up by her call to take the gospel to the nations. January 1888, she wrote, Should we not press it home upon our consciences that the sole object of our conversion was not the salvation of our own souls, but that we might become co-laborers with our Lord and Master in the conversion of the world? Let me read to you as we close once more from Ephesians chapter 4. I, therefore, prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner, manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. How does the call of God to salvation through Jesus Christ shape our lives going forward? What is your personal responsibility? Do you have one when it comes to taking the gospel to those who have never heard? That's the missionary call. It's something we each have to wrestle with and we've been gathered into a kingdom because we heard the good news from someone else. Who is going to hear the good news from you? This has been the life of Lottie Moon 
And I want to share with you a few resources if you want uh, to read further about this, and I'll post this in the show notes. Uh, in Danny Aiken's book, Ten Who Changed the World, he has a chapter on the ministry of Lottie Moon. You can read it. That book was uh, is uh, published by B&H. You can read a brief biography, uh, an article online at internationalbulletin.org by Catherine B. Allen, who also wrote a book about Lottie Moon. You can find that on Amazon. Also, the imb.org uh, has all of her letters in an archive. You can go read them there. But uh, they also have a great little series they've been doing, Missionaries You Should Know, and, the, and David J. Brady has written a great article on Lottie Moon. You can find that at imb.org. Well, this has been Functional Theology. I'm so glad you joined me. Let's continue rolling through. We're going to be looking at another missionary next time on episode four. But uh, until then, you can find any content that you might want from me at ash, chadashby.com. You can also follow me at chad underscore ashby on Twitter. You can find me on Facebook. My author page is Chad C. Ashby. And I will see you next time on Functional Theology.